That's about as good as it's going to get in here, I think. I think that sounds better. I'm now in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> a walk-in closet, I should, I should say. Back in the old closet. <laughs> oh, dear. Hello and welcome back to the Europolex podcast. The podcast so good, we've had almost as many episodes as Bulgaria's had elections this year. I'm Ewan Healy, and with me, of course, is Gabriel Hedengren. Gabriel, how are you doing? Hi, yeah, I'm doing good, I'm doing good. Um, not going to lie, it's been a long week, but lots of fun stuff going on, so I can't really complain. But yeah, it's definitely November for me at the moment. How are you? November with a capital N, absolutely. Yeah, that seasonal affective disorder getting onto us all. We're all seeing the dark now. For sure. We've got a very exciting episode to light the darkness, haven't we? Indeed. So in this episode, we are once again joined by our Bulgarian correspondent, Teodora Yovcheva. Teodora has, of course, been a frequent guest of ours this year, as Bulgaria has had not one, not two, but three parliamentary elections. We will, of course, be discussing the results of the latest one, as well as the results of the first round of the presidential election that took place on the same day. But before we go into our new segment and the interview with Theodora, we wanted to share a little message on how you could support us and our headlines from across the continent. Do you want to be one of the volunteers that are behind your blex in this podcast? We are currently on the lookout for an audiovisual editor that can help our podcast and YouTube team create and edit content like what you're hearing right now. But only better, of course, we're trying to improve all the time. If you're interested in joining our team or know someone who would be, please do reach out to us at podcast at Europolex is, of course, run by volunteers. We aren't funded by big donors. And everything we do, including this podcast, is only possible with the help of our supporters, just like you. And if we want to do more, which we do, we need your support. So we've started sharing exclusive discussions and special content and votes on what we should contain in our coming podcasts, all on our Patreon channel. Access all of it from as little as one euro a month and support the work of Europolex. So don't miss out on all that good content and support us on Patreon. So we start our headlines in Bulgaria, of course, where else? After two unsuccessful attempts of coalition talks, the Balkan country has gone for its third legislative election of the year. While the turnout gets lower and lower, these elections may promise new changes for the Bulgarian party system, as, according to the latest results, a newly emerged centrist coalition, We Continue the Change, or PP, secured slightly more than a quarter of the votes and 67 seats out of 240. Now, that coalition is led by two ministers of the caretaker government, Kirill Petkov and Asen Vasilev. The major political force of the country's centre-right GERB, led by the former Prime Minister Boyko Borisov, came up second with 22%, continuing its decline in every election this year. Five other parties entered the parliament, including the Liberal DPS, the centre-left BSP, significantly down, Slavi Trifonov's ITN, centre-right coalition DB, and the right-wing Revival. It's important to note, of course, that ITN was founded in 2020 and reached second place in the April elections, first place in July, and is now in fifth 
place. It's quite a roller coaster. You could definitely get whiplash from watching those election results. Meanwhile, the presidential election that coincided with the legislative elections saw the incumbent Ruman Radev get 49.5% of the vote, nearly winning in the first round, instead giving us a second round event. So do stick around, of course, to hear the analysis of why we're here, what's going to happen next, and who the real winners and losers are at the moment with a chat that I have with Theodora later on in this episode. Let's go to Denmark now, where voters went to the polls on November 16th to elect their representatives to municipal and regional councils. So across the country's five regional councils that mainly govern healthcare and public transport policy, just one, Nordjylland in the north of Denmark, will see its leadership shift from the centre-left Social Democrats to Liberal Venstre. The big shifts of the election, however, were not seen between the big parties, but mainly smaller parties on the right, especially with the centre-right Conservative People's Party more than doubling its seats nationally at the expense of mainly the right-wing Danish People's Party, which was the clear loser of the night. So looking at Denmark's 98 municipal councils, the picture was similar, which you uh, might expect, with the two big winners being the centre-right Conservative People's Party and the right-wing The New Right, while the Danish People's Party and the Social Democrats lost the most in the vote share. That said, the party of Denmark's Prime Minister, Mette Fredriksen, comfortably remains the largest party nationally. In terms of who rules the most municipal councils coming out of the election, the Social Democrats lost control of four, but still come first with 44, so a bit less than half, followed by Venstre at 36, which is down one. And the Conservative People's Party now has 12 mayors across Denmark, which is four more than previously, so quite a big jump as that obviously means that with a proportional system that you're the biggest party in the biggest block. It's worth noting that the Danish People's Party lost its only mayoral position, which is obviously a huge blow to them politically, and as did the Green Party known as the Alternative. Uh, a quirky story that uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will uh, be interested in more than anything, maybe, as the regionalist party, the Schleswig party, that got its first mayor elected since the current system of local government was launched in 2005. So the party itself has been around for almost a century, obviously representing the uh, German minority in Schleswig, so South Denmark, the border to Germany. But uh, this time around, they managed to get a good enough result to become the dominant force in their municipality. So that's a, a fun, quirky story, but the overall picture was bad night for the two big parties, a good night for the Conservative People's Party that's now challenging Venstre as the main force on the mainstream right in Denmark. Speaking of other elections that were bad news for dominant parties, we're going to head over to Kosovo now, where they held the second round of their local elections. What happened was the ruling left-wing LVV had a less-than-ideal night for themselves just nine months after a landslide victory in parliamentary elections. More specifically, the centre-right Serb minority party, Lista Serba, elected 10 of the 38 mayors, one more than in 2017, having great results in all the areas where uh, the Serb minority uh, is prevalent. The National Conservative PDK elected nine mayors was the clear winner, as that's a rise of four mayors since 2017. Meanwhile, the centre-right LDK fell from eight mayors to seven, and the centre-right AAK fell from seven to five. The centre-right NISMA, a Turkish minority party KDTP, and the local centre-right list of IQO elected one mayor. 
mayor each. Now, the ruling LVV did manage to have four mayors elected, one more than in 2017, but it did not succeed in electing its candidate in the capital, Pristina, where the LDK candidate Perperin Rama was elected with 51% of the vote to LVV's Arben Vithia's 49%. So knife-edge results there, but really disappointing for the leading national party. In our last bit of electoral news, following the Portuguese political crisis triggered by the Socialist Party government's failure to pass a budget for 2022 and the consequential presidential announcement of the dissolution of parliament, a date has now been set for the upcoming SNAP elections. Contrary to the intention of most political parties with parliamentary representation in Portugal, the centre-right president, Marcelo Rebelo de Sousa, publicly pronounced the set date for the election would be the 30th of January, so in around two months' time. For more information and details on the events that preceded and led to the current political stalemate, do read our latest article on the EuropeLex website by our Portugal correspondent, Celso Gomez. There you'll find everything from the requiem of the Portuguese left-wing experience, known as getting concha, to the prognosis of what could be the near future of the Western Iberian Republic. Um, so yeah, another election um, to be put on our calendar, Yuan. And we love them. We do love it when they get added to the calendar. It's a great moment. Now, let's just take a very brief visit to a recurring segment that's become recurring as of late, and that is uh, the continuing government crisis in Romania, where after the centre-right PNL and UDMR-supported Prime Minister-designate Nikolai Kucha gave up his mandate, new negotiations for a coalition government have started with the two largest parties. Uh, the centre-left PSD and the centre-right PNL are actually working on a potential grand coalition. However, the parties still need to agree on a new prime minister candidate and resolve any differences over economic policy and, of course, the handling of the pandemic, which, of course, is, like many places, a major issue in Romania. Now to another government crisis in my home country of Sweden. Sweden is gearing up for its second government formation of 2021, following the former resignation of Stefan Löfven as prime minister on November 10th. While he continues to lead a transitional government for now, the new leader of his central-left party, the Social Democrats, Magdalena Andersson, is doing all that she can to ensure the country's parliament tolerates her as the new head of government in a vote next week, which is likely to be accompanied by um, a vote on uh, a budget as well on the same day. Andersson's goal is to launch a new version of the existing coalition cabinet with the Greens, and make sure that it can present a budget that is tolerated by both the left-wing left party and the liberal centre party, which is proving to be quite a tricky situation. This comes less than six months after Levian survived a government crisis caused by a policy-based ultimatum from the left party and the decision by the liberal party to remove its conditional support for a government led by the Social Democrats alongside the Greens. The result of this is that there is now just one single seat separating the country's emerging political blocks. So if you have one block to the left with the Social Democrats, a Liberal Party, a Green Party and a Left Party, and then you have a block forming to the right, uh, led by the centre-right moderates, the Sweden Democrats, um, the right-wing, the populist right-wing party and the centre-right Christian Democrats. Much is pointing to Anderson managing this maneuver because, um, as I said, the parties that are part of her negotiations do have a one-seat majority. 
uh, that will make her Sweden's first female prime minister and the third female politician to go into an election campaign as a viable candidate for the position as well next year. So still um, lots can happen here. It's a highly unstable position, which is um, going to last until uh, September 2022. So we'll definitely keep you posted on how it goes on our channels. Now heading back to the Balkans to keep you up with another government crisis, we go to North Macedonia, where, as we mentioned last episode, Prime Minister Zoran Zaev had announced his resignation following poor local election results in which his party, the centre-left SDSM, lost out to others. However, Zaev, after pressure from his party and coalition partners, has taken his resignation back, or to be more accurate, he never officially submitted it. This led opposition parties to hold a no-confidence vote in the parliament. The SDSM-led coalition government held a majority of 62 out of 120 MPs. So when the centre-right Beza, with its three MPs, flipped from supporting the government to supporting the no-confidence vote, it seemed like the Zayev government would fall. However, the vote fell into a void due to a lack of quorum. With the government's 59 MPs boycotting the vote, it needed just one more for the vote to not go ahead. And Beza MP Kastriot Rekshepi decided to not show up. Debunked stories about him potentially being kidnapped and other efforts to carry on with the vote aside, the government now stands with a support of 60 of the 120 MPs. And there is talk with other MPs and parties like the centre-right alternativa to possibly support Zayev continuing on as PM, even though obviously he is a little bit weaker. Obviously, this is a live political story, as you can see from the fact that it's had so many twists and turns. So do keep an eye on uh, our feeds for uh, the latest updates. But what an exciting turn of events, Gabriel. Definitely. Lots of exciting things happening that's lighting up our life as political nerds this dark and gloomy um, November. And to top that off, we've now arrived at our favourite part of every episode, our polling highlights from across Europe. And as I've already discussed it, um, just a few minutes ago, uh, why don't we start off in Denmark, where the centre-right Conservative People's Party not only reached great results in local elections, but that's also been confirmed uh, in polling, where they're currently reaching uh, the highest levels of support that they've uh, received for a few decades. So in the Megaphone poll released in the past week, they got 18.2%, which is the highest results since 1990 in a national poll. And that would also be their best election results since 1988, if repeated in an election. So they're rising in the polls at the national level, and that rise has been confirmed in the municipal and regional elections that we spoke about earlier. So lots of momentum for them. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of momentum, another party really benefiting from a continued growth is... Uh, Ireland's left-wing party Sinn Féin, who've reached an all-time record high of 37% in a new BNA poll. If, now, if this was repeated in election, this would be the party's best result ever and a rise of a whopping 12.5 percentage points since last year's elections are incredibly, incredibly significant for them. And another party that's riding high in the polls at the moment is Kinal in Greece, which reached 12.9% in the latest Metron analysis poll. This will be the party's best polling result since January 2018 and second best polling result of all time. It would also be its best election results since its creation and its constituent party, PASOK's best results since 2012. It also comes after the untimely passing of Kinal's leader, Kofi Yenemata, and in the midst of a campaign for the party's leadership contest. So lots of eyes are on the party and that's benefiting them in the polls 
for now. And it's obviously interesting because we all know about the dreaded pacification and how badly the central left in Greece has been doing. So signs that times are changing for the central left in the country uh, will be welcomed. And finally, while it isn't quite a polling highlight, we always like to mention when there are group changes in the European Parliament, and we've had two of them since our last episode. Firstly, in Poland, Rosa Thun, or by her full name, Rosa Grafin von Thun und Hohenstein, after leaving the centre-right PO earlier this year, has now left the centre-right European People's Party group and has joined the Liberal Renew Europe group. In addition, in Italy, Carlo Calanda and his party Azione have left the centre-left Progressive Alliance of Socialists and Democrats and have joined the Liberal Renew Europe group, which means the number of RE MEPs is now at around 100. So on the topic of MEPs, this month's EU parliamentary projection from Europolex is excitingly interesting, as for the first time in more than four and a half years, the centre-left Progressive Alliance of Socialists and Democrats group is in the lead with 155 seats, one up since last month. So this is a, a big development in our data. This leaves the centre-right European People's Party group in second place with 151 seats, so quite a small difference, but that's five down since last month's projection. Liberal Renew Europe group is projected at 102 seats, remaining at third place, but rising eight. In the toss-up for fourth and fifth place, the National Conservative ECR group remains on top with 81, to right-wing identity and democracy groups 75. There's also a toss-up for sixth and seventh place, where the Greens slash EFA group currently are projected to get 51 seats, while the left remains at 50. Obviously, that's very close, but you can see interesting developments there, and uh, we'll see if uh, that lead that the centre-left has after a long time will be sustained, or if it's a blip, you and uh, it'll be exciting to follow in in months to come. I'm, I'm going to give a wild guess that it has to do with developments in, in Germany that obviously has a, a big impact on, on the system, given its size. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, poof, only three years to go until the next European parliamentary elections. So strap in, folks. Strap in. For a more detailed analysis of all of this, do head to our website where you can see all the full graphical representations. You can find out how many seats those pesky non-inscripts have got and how national developments have been affecting our monthly projection. Of course, head to europolex.eu to see that on our website. And that's all the news and polling highlights from around the continent. I know it's sad, but don't worry. Stick around for our discussion with our Bulgaria correspondent, Teodora Yovcheva. She's got some very interesting insights to share with us all the way from Bulgaria. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast and want to help us grow, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whatever platform it is you're listening to us on. And of course, tell your friends, your fellow political nerds all about us. That would mean the absolute world. We love making this podcast and we love it when you guys love it. So if you've got an idea for a segment, thoughts on a topic that we should be covering, or even if you just want to say hi to us, drop us an email, podcast at europolex.eu. Europolex now has merch. Do you want to support us or you're a polling and election nerd like us and just want everybody to know about it? Head on to europeelects.redbubble.com and check out all our mugs, maps, t-shirts, stickers and more. We're really excited about this and our team is working on more designs all the time. Let us know how you like them. Welcome back to the Europe Alex podcast, folks. It's great to have you 
back, and it's also extra great to have Teodora Yuvcheva back with us uh, to talk again about Bulgarian politics. It's been a busy year, and we've had our third election. So let's just jump right into it with Teodora, our uh, Bulgaria correspondent. Teodora, what what's led to us having ended up here after a third election? Uh, hello, Yuan. Yes, this is the third election this year. The first one in April was the regular election. Actually, Bulgaria hasn't had regular elections since 2009. So, uh, if this event uh, was a kind of surprise for us. Uh, during the campaign, most of the parties declared non-cooperation with GERP uh, CDSA, although most of the polls indicated win for them. Uh, they stay, stayed true to their statements and refused cooperation with the winners after the election. The problem was that uh, the other parties couldn't form a government without one of the traditional parties, GERP CDSA, DPS, and the Socialists. Till that time, it, it was not a consensus that uh, the so-called protest parties would like to cooperate with one of the parties who have been in the previous uh, parliament. So this is how we got to the second election. This time, ITN, the populist party established by the uh, popular TV host and pop folk singer Slavi Trifonov, won the election. It was with small margin, but still it was a won, which uh, actually gave the so-called uh, anti-status quo or protest parties uh, initiative in their hands as ITN was um, recognized as one of the protest parties. But uh, ITN, as a populist party, adopted anti-establishment rhetoric. It refused to cooperate formally with any other party and wanted to propose the minority government, which uh, uh, suggestion they withdrew in the last minute. It, it was very interesting. Um, case because we have never witnessed it in our history, in our democratic history, of course, um, because uh, the government was about to to be voted. And then in the last minutes, they decided that it's not going to happen. As a result, uh, the third election was uh, scheduled for November. So this is how we got here. Wow, it's been a long and winding road. But now here we are, these results after this election are, are basically completely different or different in very big ways. Who are the winners and losers, Teodora? Well, I prefer to stick to the numbers when I speak about winners and losers. And apparently the winners are we continue the change. This is a new electoral uh, alliance formed by two former caretaker ministers, Minister of Economic, Kirill Petkov, and uh, Minister of the Finance, Asen Vasilev. Uh, the most drastically drop we observe with ITN and uh, the uh, coalition Democratic Bulgaria. ITN went down from the first place to the fifth now. Demo Democratic Bulgaria lost almost half of their voters in favor of uh, uh, we continue the change. So I would uh, say that this is the most uh, notable examples. Yeah, so who are we continue the change then? Obviously, we know uh, their, uh, the origins of their leadership, but what are they after politically? How have they managed to get support? I mean, 25.7% is not a bad showing for a first election. 
Yes, you're absolutely right. Uh, as I uh, said, uh, it is electoral alliance led by the former caretaker government minister Skiriu Petkov and Tasen Vasilev. Their popularity was very high and they decided to run in parliamentary election. We saw that this popularity brought them electoral gains. This is rather usual for Bulgaria, actually. We can name a few politicians with, with similar success, like ITN in July, for example. It was a new party uh, established very soon, but it uh, succeeded to, to win uh, the elections. And, uh, for example, the former Prime Minister Boyko Borisov, in uh, 2009, it was the first uh, parliamentary election for his party, GERP, and he won. Uh, we can uh, say, for example, national movement Simeon II in 2001, it was formed just three or two months before the election. It, it, and uh, the movement won it. So uh, I would say that, as Peter Mayer says, uh, post-communism has its uh, peculiarities, and uh, I think Bulgarians, uh, Bulgaria party preferences are not very well structured, and this is how we have um, very open electoral market, and it's not unlikely for a new charismatic player to win a majority. Yeah, that's really interesting as we see the, you know, a significant proportion of voters willing to completely switch parties. There's no sort of uh, long-term commitment from individuals to parties. Now, obviously, two parties that have been around for quite a long time, um, or relative to uh, Bulgarian politics, are Gerb and, and the BSP, the Bulgarian Socialist Party, who've both suffered again and again this year. And of course, this third election was no different. Obviously, the BSP has suffered the biggest losses, uh, down to just 10% of the vote. Why are these parties in freefall? I would not hurry to declare the death of the Socialist Party or GERP. First, uh, for the Socialist Party, this is an old party with structures and memberships. Uh, it has survived hard times. Its leader, Cornelia Ninova, actually resigned yesterday. And in my opinion, in the environment like Bulgarian, where the charisma of the leader is crucially important, it is possible for the socialists to survive if they elect a new, a new leader. Um, also, I'm not sure if this government would be very stable because the coalition would be at least with four parties, four parties which are very different from one another. And um, this could be a plus for the, let's say, old parties like BSP, DPS and GERP, because if the new parties fail again, the people may say that they would stick with the old parties. Now, another party, of course, that's seen collapses is Trifonov's there is such people as we talked about earlier on. Um, what's behind the collapse there? Because they looked pretty dominant earlier in the year. Well, um, polls indicated that most of the people blame their such a people for not forming a government. I think the numbers was like were like 45% or above blamed them for uh, not forming a government. Also, ITN made several moves which could be seen as chaotic. As I said, they proposed a prime minister and a cabinet uh, uh, formation, which uh, even, uh, did, it was not voted in the parliament. Trifonov withdrew 
a few cabinet proposals, in, uh, but not in the parliament, but uh, in the broad audience. And in my opinion, these chaotic moves uh, was in contrast with Trifonov and his people's image, image of the strong person who knows how to elect right people. That's really interesting. You know, they've been a victim of their own success there um, and basically then failed once they've sort of been so dominant in the political system and been punished for that. Um, are we expecting Trifonov to remain influential in politics? Obviously, they've got seats in the national parliament now. Is Trifonov going to sort of disappear from the political scene or, or try and carry on? Well, it's very difficult to say because uh, ITN was formed very recently and we don't know if it's going to have structures uh, uh, around the country or no I is it going to rely only on the charisma of trifonov or no so these are questions which i think uh, we need answers first on these questions and then to make um, a forecast about uh, itn's future there's so much in this election to talk about and one particular political party that has uh, done quite well uh, has been the new party uh, revival who've uh, managed to grow up to be able to gain a few seats in the parties on the right while uh, other sort of like uh, VMRO uh, who we might have recognized from previous elections have, have done worse what has revival been able to do on the right that the other parties who've been struggling over the last year or so not been able to do Hmm. Revival till recently was a local-based party in Varna, a town near the seaside of the Black Sea. It is a pro-Russian party, it is a nationalist, nationalist party, uh, but their success came after the caretaker government decided to introduce so-called Green Pass. It is very common among uh, EU now, uh, but uh, of course, in Bulgaria, like in the other European countries, it was a controversial um, measure. Some of the people uh, embraced it, but most of them was not very, uh, were not very satisfied with this decision. Uh, then Revival organized protests and captured the people who were against the COVID certificate. And I think this was the, the specific moment which send them in parliament. It's really interesting because we're seeing, we've seen in a number of countries recently, the success of a, an anti-vaccine or perhaps not an anti-vaccine party necessarily, a, a anti-vaccine passport party. Um, and we've seen it's going to be interesting over the coming uh, months and years to see whether they can maintain support. Um, obviously, as these issues, you know, they're not going to go away, but the they might be less salient as the time goes on. Let's just talk about one more thing to do with the parliamentary election, and that is, of course, the low turnout that we've all been uh, looking at. You know, it's quite shockingly low, actually, uh, you know, around 40 percent, Bulgaria's lowest uh, in its democratic history. You know, are voters just tired of having to go to the polls or, or have they given up believing that there can be a new political settlement post Boyko Borisov? Well, um, I think uh, people blame politicians for making them to go to polling station again and again as nothing drastically changes. We can say that the COVID, COVID pandemic also um, has an impact, has an impact on the turnout. But I think the lost sense of hope or the belief that nothing would change much and that uh, people's uh, vote has no significant meaning 
is the the most probable reason for the lowest turnout. And that can be really concerning and, and quite concerning for, for Bulgaria's future, because obviously if, if people don't feel like the democracy is working for them, then they're, you're going to get increased. Yes, uh, yes, I want to add that uh, most of the Bulgarians approved dem democracy as the only tool for ruling a country. So it is very interesting to, to have a high approval of democracy and low turnout. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting comparison uh, to make. And obviously the voting fatigue is not going to get any better as this weekend uh, there is the second round of the presidential elections. You might have already happened if you are listening to this on the podcast. Uh, but for us, it's coming up in just a couple of days. And that is the second round of the presidential elections uh, where the incumbent uh, Ruman Radev uh, and his GERB-backed challenger uh, Anastas Gelshikov will face off in a simple majority election at the weekend. We're expecting obviously a low turnout again, but we're not expecting anything to change, are we? Yes. Roman Radev has very high result on the first round and he's very popular. It is unlikely to uh, lose the presidency. The surprises are possible, of course, but if we look at the numbers, the winner for Roman Radev is most likely. Thank you very much, Teodora, for coming onto the podcast. You know, you've been really busy this week with uh, television and newspapers and all sorts of things, looking for your uh, trusted opinion on all of these things. So thanks for giving us some time on the podcast. Thank you, and it was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the EuropeLex podcast. To stay up to date with European politics, make sure you subscribe and, of course, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Telegram, Vcontacta and YouTube. We're spreading out wherever we can. So do please follow us. There's no excuse not to anymore. You can find us at europelex.eu and at europelex across all social media and at europe underscore lex on Instagram. See you next time. You've been listening to the Europelex podcast hosted by me, Ewan Healy, and my colleague, Gabriel Hedengren. The managing editor was Polychronis Karampolas. The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Matthew Nicholson, Jorgos Kukouris, Guillaume Ferreira de Senda, Yanis Ashakian, and Yavi Debad. The music was by Jose Alvarado, and everything we do wouldn't be possible without our patrons from Patreon. That's the one.